Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.05 a.m. Friday. The 25th of February, 2022. This is episode 551 of Bitcoin. And I didn't come to you yesterday because while I was cutting the show, I got a call from a doctor's office saying, where are you? I had a doctor's appointment that I completely forgot about. So I had to hang it up, go to the doctor, get a checkup and uh, talk to the doc for a little while, come back. And when I came back, I tried to pick it up, the show back up where I left off. I really did, but you you do like 15 20 minutes of recording and you know in the format of this show it's a little hard to pick it back up you know it it just is and the you know I tried and then I listened to the cut and I was like there's just it's a completely different sound it's everything was just different so screw it I just figured I'd lay off <clears throat> come back to you this morning the day after everybody woke up to war in Europe now I'm not I'm going to do my level best while this conflict is going on to not say any very much about the conflict itself. Um there's a meme running around with the old guy with the you know with the grill holding up the coffee mug, he's always smiling uh that says, you know, I'm going to stop being an expert on uh vaccines and now I'm going to become an expert on geopolitics. There's a lesson in that. And we should probably listen to it. I'm I'm going to do my level best to not become an expert in geopolitics because I'm not. I I did have some things to say about the vaccine, though. Why? Well, because I have a degree in cell and molecular biology. I did take virology. I did publish in physiology. I did transfect cells with uh, genetic material that forced them to build green fluorescent protein on certain parts of their cellular physiology. Um, I did do research for two years, so it wasn't that I was, you know, it's not that I have a license to talk about it as much as I felt comfortable. I do not feel comfortable at all talking about geopolitics when it comes to what Putin wants, what Ukraine, you know, what Ukraine wants, NATO's quote unquote encroachment upon the Western borders of Russia. I, you know what? There's, there's so much bullshit bubbling under that particular blanket. I, I don't want to peel it back. I really, really don't. But what I will say is that there's, my question here is what does Putin want? What does he want? I, I mean, if, if the easy answer is, well, you dumbass, he just wants Ukraine back and he wants to buffer, you know, NATO against the Western, the, have a buffer room between Russia and NATO. Okay. But he knew that he was going to get butt screwed on like a fiat financial or a legacy fiat financial warfare. UBS yesterday decreased the price of Russian bonds to zero as a value. They listed it as $0 as a value. Not that Putin's going to care all about that, 
He's the one that already has the money. So they only screwed the secondary market. But be that as it may, I four of the banks have been shut down from being able to do business. Apparently, he's not been cut off from SWIFT, though. But everything but SWIFT, you know, Russia has been screwed. There's $640 million of foreign exchange goods and physical gold bullion not held within the borders of Russia. He knew that was going to be confiscated, and it has been frozen. All accounts everywhere from Russia has been frozen. All I can imagine is, you know, the, the question becomes, is Putin that stupid? And the answer is no, he's not. He's ex-KGB. He's been in the game since he was probably 16 years old. He knows how to maneuver. He knows how this shit works. Am I a fan? No. Do I hate him? Not really. I think that just the whole thing is all these people suck is where is what it boils down to. So I'm just neutral on how much he sucks. Trudeau, I can't stand the motherfucker because he's overt. I have no idea what the hell's going on with Putin. But one thing that is clear is that he did know that all this financial warfare was going to occur the second that he pulled the trigger on Ukraine. So the question becomes, what does Putin really want? What is he really after? And I don't think we actually know yet. Although somebody did say that he was long gold in energy and short the Dow, as in Dow Industrial Index, or the Dow Jones Industrial Index. So if he is playing the quote-unquote inevitability gambit, what do I mean by that? Well, you, everybody, including Putin, saw the money printing. And I'm not sure if Russia was engaged in all that much money printing. Not sure. If I'm wrong about that, please correct me. But I certainly didn't hear about it like I heard about the EU, Canada, the United States, blah, 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 yada, 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 Australia, New Zealand, all that shit. They, we were all printing money like mad. And if Putin really was just late, you know, chilling out, sitting back in his chair, smoking a blunt, laughing his ass off, going, yep, I'm going to wait until a particular time and then I'm going to pull the trigger on something because it's not going to matter if you hold my assets. It's not. And if that's the case, then he's playing a much longer game than I think we are all being told. I think we're being told that he wants Ukraine and he's going to go for Belarus and he's going to go for all the old so you know United Soviet Socialist Republic states that broke off after the fall of the uh of the oh my god the Berlin Wall. You know, he probably is. And but the I think the answer what we're being given or what I'm being fed right now through media is that it's it's NATO's encroachment upon the western border. I think there's a lot more under the surface as to what Putin wants, and only time will tell before we get there. Now, with all that said, let's get into a couple of tweets first. <clears throat> Speaking of Ukraine, I will say this. Uh, the Ukraine is going, apparently, to declare a state of emergency, obviously, for obvious reasons. But the reason I say that is that uh, Zelensky said that they're going to grant citizens the right to bear arms. Okay. Now, lots of people are like going, see, this, this, is, why we, this is why we have the Second Amendment. This is why you, citizens bear arms. No, that's not why we have the Second Amendment. Ladies and gentlemen, United States of America and the Americans that live within the borders of that don't have to be granted permission to take up arms for any reason whatsoever. We have the Second Amendment. 
we we have the, we always had the right to bear arms. Here we have an example of of a government who's so scared at this point, and by all means they should be, that they are granting, and I've got my fingers up in quotes. They're granting the right for their citizens to bear arms. All right. Well, that begs the question: if they didn't have the right to bear arms, so you know, so far then where are the so-called arms coming from? Are you distributing AK-47s? Did the, or did the citizenry already have the weaponry, but they were just not allowed to purchase ammunition for it, to take it out of uh, a safe? I don't know. I don't know. But it seems to me that we've got this guy who's granting permission for a citizenry to defend themselves. We don't have to do that in the United States. And if we don't get on the ball and start cracking some skulls, we're probably, you know, we're, we're at, at risk of losing that, but I won't get into the ramifications of what the dissolution of a single amendment of the constitution of the United States would actually look like. So let's move on. Um, The SEC is changing the definition of an accredited investor, or rather they are taking questions on their proposal to change the rules of what makes an accredited investor. So right now, an accredited investor, if you've got like a million dollars in cash and property, you're an accredited investor. If you've made, you know, jointly with your spouse, like $300,000 a year for the last two years, and that you have proof, you can give proof that you're probably going to make $300,000 a year for the next two years, and you made $300,000 jointly this year, you are an an accredited investor. The SEC wants to change that to $10 million in property. What does that do? Well, that makes it even more difficult for regular people to be able to buy like initial public offerings of, you know, tech companies and whatnot like that. I remember when I was a lot younger, I asked uh, at the time the financial manager that I had, and he was actually more of a financial liar, but I asked, I was like, oh, well, we got to get in on this Facebook thing. And he's like, he, he literally snickered and said, you ain't getting in on that. I'm like, why? You're my financial advisor. Why can't I buy that shit? And he's like, dude, it's like you're not an accredited investor. I can't I can't purchase that stock for you. You need like to have a million dollars. And that's when it started when the whole mousetrap was set off for me and I started looking through the open doors and the open windows and realizing that what was outside was not in fact on my side. It was literally working against me and that means the this is how this is one of the major gateways that forced the poor to become more poor the middle class to become more poor and the rich to actually get really, really rich. If you've made, if you're rich and you made your money, like by building a business, fucking a right, dude. But if you're, if you're rich simply because you get to pile a shit ton of money into something like an IPO of Facebook, even though that their stock is tanked lately, but it before, before now it didn't, it made you even richer. All right. So these rules this they're just trying to keep us poor forever so be aware of that they are ta- i think it's a 60 day question period uh so if you want, you know look up the sec uh question period uh changing rules accredited investor yeah uh, put that into duckduckgo and uh run with it and if you find where you can actually reply 
you might want to take a few minutes and, and tell them why this is a very terrible idea. Now, <clears throat> U.S. Bitcoin miners are expanding operations despite price volatility. So let's come back home from overseas in Europe. Cointelegraph's Brian Neuer has it. Crypto mining operations based in the United States are committed to increasing their hash power with more hardware despite BTC's three-month downturn. The Marathon Digital Holdings and Gem Mining Companies in the U.S. told Cointelegraph this week that they each expect the size of their respective operations to grow through 2022 by at least doubling the number of machines at their facilities. Marathon Digital's VP of Corporate Communications, Charlie Schumacher, told Cointelegraph in an interview that it is moving forward with plans to deploy 199,000 new machines by 2023. That's in like nine months, dude, to secure what is arguably the future of the global monetary system. Jim Mining, or <coughs> GEM, Jim Mining CEO John Warren said via email that it plans to have 32,000 miners online by the end of this year. For Marathon, uh, that would be more than a six-time increase in size, whereas Jim's capacity would double if it follows through with its plan. The fact that miners are expanding their operations comes as somewhat of a surprise. Uh, late last week, concerns were raised about the capital efficiency of miners, as it was reported that many were selling off BTC in order to maintain cash reserves. Marathon Digital filed with the SEC to sell up to $750 million worth of its stock on February the 13th. However, Schumacher clarified that the company is keeping its options open and is in a position to better work through capital markets while it looks for the most economically efficient way towards growth. He said that, quote, filling to shelf doesn't mean they are necessarily selling. Everything we do is about increasing optionality. He continued, quote, we can't control the price of Bitcoin, but we can control how we react to the market. We believe we are in a position to act opportunistically. Warren shares optimism about growing his company's scale. He told Cointelegraph that Jim has not sold any BTC to date. His temperament can be derived in part by the potential capital efficiency provided by newly proposed tax incentives in Illinois and Georgia. If passed, the Illinois bill would offer tax breaks for crypto mining data centers while Georgia would reduce taxes on electricity used for crypto mining. Whereas Marathon's strategy appears to be securing greater sources of revenue, Jim is seeking out ways to reduce their expenses. Warren said, quote, State tax incentives for mining are tremendously beneficial to companies like Jim Mining due to their effects on the cost of energy use. Quote, Energy is one of the most significant inputs for mining operations, and tax breaks that exempt the sale or use of electricity can assist with reducing overhead costs and maintaining cash flows, end quote. Both Schumacher and Warren acknowledged the possibility for turbulence in Bitcoin price over the next coming months. Schumacher would not comment on whether we are entering a crypto winter, but made it clear that his company focuses on decreasing risks and making sure that we can pivot. Conversely, Warren commented that we are more likely in the short-term bearish sentiment within the market. He concluded by saying, quote, I anticipate there will be continued investment in Bitcoin in the larger crypto space, regardless of short-term volatility. 
So in the face of Bitcoin's price decrease, we have people in the mining industry who literally do not care. They are going, I mean, 200,000 machines by next year for Marathon. Are you kidding me? That's a, I mean, Marathon, that 200,000 mining rigs. You have any idea how much money that is? That's a lot of cash, dude. Things are like anywhere between 2,500 and five grand to seven grand to pop. That is not, that's not a capital outlay you watch somebody do when you think that, I mean, when it seems that the price of Bitcoin is going to plummet. I mean, it's, they know, it's not that they know something as like an insider trading guy knows something. I, I think they just realize what it is that we're looking at. And there's so many people in the Bitcoin space right now that really freaking out. You know, we, <clears throat> for those of us that have been here for a few cycles, we know the feeling. And that feeling never changes. It hasn't changed for me. I'm kind of freaking out a little bit myself. But at least I have been tempered a few times in being able to survive it. But the newbies, the class of 2021... If any of you guys that are new listening to this, that are newbies that just started listening to this and just got into Bitcoin in 2021 and you're still holding, freaking congratulations, dude. Balls of brass. Balls of brass. Now, uh, a healthy United States Bitcoin mining industry could generate significant tax revenue. Yes, I know. I know tax is theft, but this is part of the conversation that we're having. So you might as well get used to hearing about it. Coindesk, George Kaloudis writing it. Crypto supporters were taken aback this past July when the infrastructure bill brought to the United States Congress claimed it could raise $28 billion from crypto investors by applying new information reporting requirements to exchanges and other parties. This projection ended up getting beat down on the internet as the dollar amount seemed to be plucked out of thin air. In reality, figuring out how much taxes crypto investors owe based on their capital gains is incredibly difficult to estimate. Theoretically, the Internal Revenue Service could look through every transaction on every blockchain to see profits and losses for in each and every wallet. But from there, the IRS could figure out the amount of on-chain gains it could tax. However, the ra that raises the issue of whether those assets were sent from one wallet to another with the same owner, something that may not make it a taxable event. On top of that, there's the difficulty of getting good information from exchanges to figure out the amount of off-chain gains the IRS could, in fact, tax. In practice, this collection and estimation process is a complete mess. If the United States government wants to raise money through tra taxation on crypto, it could consider encouraging Bitcoin miners to set up shop. Doing so could bring in tax revenue, revenue inflows from the companies that set up those mining operations. <clears throat> we built a relatively simple estimate of Bitcoin mining profitability using an open source model developed by Galaxy Digital to approximate the cost of mining a Bitcoin, applying simplifying assumptions to represent the entire Bitcoin market. In fact, some of the company's book income statements, losses, and are paying no taxes at all. Startups, which Bitcoin miners are, are generally unprofitable as they look to spend money building up their operations. 
our model strips out the business decisions that young companies must make when they are growing, meaning that it only works in a world with a more mature Bitcoin mining industry. We also wanted to normalize for accounting methods allowing companies to minimize tax burdens. So here's the model. Our work relied on the model done by Galaxy Digital for a simple reason. We know roughly how much revenue miners will collect annually in Bitcoin terms. The Bitcoin protocol is designed in a way so that a block is mined roughly every 10 minutes. So we can say with confidence that the amount of revenue miners will make annually is 328, 500 Bitcoin plus transaction fees, which nominally make up about 3% of the current block reward. As such, the main focus for determining profitability should be on estimating costs. The three main expenses we looked to estimate were cost of revenue, uh, selling, general and administrative expenses, depreciation. In plain English, we looked to estimate the cost of the electricity it takes to power mining rigs and the cost of, quote, keeping the lights on. The main cost driver for Bitcoin mining is a function of electricity use and price. Galaxy's model calculates the cost of Bitcoin production based on the specifications and performance of 18 different models of ASIC mining machines. These machines draw different amounts of power at varying levels of efficiency. Each type of mining machine operates at a different level of profitability based on the cost of electricity per kilowatt hour. Our base case assumed six United States pennies per kilowatt hour of electricity cost. Next, in this machinery heavy business, the mining companies that buy ASICs have a meaningful amount of depreciation to deal with. Our model assumes 22.5% of revenue is the base case based on the assumption that mining companies will depreciate their ASICs over five years. These companies then have other costs associated with SG&A which, through public company comparisons and informed by Galaxy's work, is estimated to be about 12.5%. Lastly, we included a catch-all for other expenses that made up 3.5% of revenues as a way to curtail the potential overstatement of profitability. We could have easily made the same adjustment in the other direction and recognized this is largely a design choice by our team. So here's the results. <clears throat> we present our results in two-way charts using various scenarios adjusting for Bitcoin price, Bitcoin's total hash rate, the cost of electricity, and United States share of global hash rate. The numbers in the chart represent the annual federal tax revenue to the government from mining companies assuming a 21% federal corporate tax rate. In the event the input is not sensitized against in the chart, the base case is the following. Global Bitcoin hash rate is around 200 exahashes per second. Electricity cost is six United States pennies per kilowatt hour. The United States has a 30% share of global hash rate, and there is a 21% federal corporate tax rate. So in the chart that says United States share of global hash rate, uh, or rather taxes due to government by miners given United States share of hash rate, I'm going to read basically a couple of these numbers off because it's a it's it's a it's not a graph it's a basically a spreadsheet right so if the United States share of global hash rate is 30% and the bitcoin price is $50,000 then the tax revenue by all United States miners is $300 million that's $300 million if it's a $60,000 bitcoin price it's $426 million 
Although if it's only $40,000, it's a mere, you know, $172 million. But if we increase our uh, hash rate to 45% at $60,000 a Bitcoin, that's $639 million of tax revenue. And if at $70,000 per Bitcoin, you're talking about $829 million at 45% global hash rate. So that's sort of what they're talking about here. In the base case scenario, Bitcoin miner pre-tax profitability was estimated at $1.4 billion and a tax bill of $300 million. That scenario shows up in the middle of each table below, or actually above. Uh, all other numbers in the tables are representative of estimated taxes and those inputs, if those inputs were changed. For example, if Bitcoin price were $60,000 and hash rate were 250 exahashes per second, taxes to the United States government would be $335 million. So the conclusion is this exercise was for informational purposes and we recognize the shortcomings of our model and the exercise, but at the very least, Bitcoin mining represents a potential profitable, uh, potentially profitable business that when domiciled in the United States, could provide the government with increased tax revenue, while the specifics of how much revenue this could bring the government vary greatly, profitable businesses represent tax revenue opportunities for the United States government. So if the United States government can do two things right here, they can kill two birds with one stone. Get the hedge in on the future of global, the, of what's going to be the global financial markets. We're going to leave legacy behind at one point or another. It's still clinging to us like mud as we crawl out of the soup that's been the muck we've been swimming in for you know the past what seven decades or so. Let's say let's say a hundred years, and we're still shaking all the mud off. But eventually, we're going to move in. We're going to transit into something different. I believe it's going to be Bitcoin. The one thing that I don't think that they talked about here is, is the fact that U.S. miners are going to be mining other things as well, and they're only talking about Bitcoin, so you got to take all those numbers as a fraction, probably a good size fraction, but like, you know, all like, oh, it's $300 million of revenue by the United States uh, mining, uh, or for the United States government by uh, crypto mining. Well, let's say 85% of it is only Bitcoin and the rest of it is is something else, then those numbers start to really vary. But just saying. And the second thing about uh, what the United States can do other than get a hedge in on the securing the future of the economy, world's economy, is this whole tax revenue thing. And they honestly, we'd be really stupid not to, you know, get into this full bore because at least on the surface of it to the United States government right now, it looks, they think, I, I think they think that they have a good shot at being able to fully control Bitcoin network, just like they fully control the world's economy right now. This is not the case because at any given time, some 16 year old is going to see something in Bitcoin and is going to pull it out as code or in combination with some other technology and there will be yet another emergent property that nobody saw, and it's going to wreck every government's ideals as to how it was they thought they were going to regulate the Bitcoin, the world Bitcoin network. Not, it's just not going to happen. There's, there's too many hidden emergent properties inside of Bitcoin that we haven't pulled out yet for anybody to say these regulations will work into perpetuity. No, they won't. 
No, they won't. No, they won't. You've got 150 years at minimum of people being able to redefine and pull out emergent properties from the Bitcoin network and do something that we haven't thought of yet. So moving on, Cash App. Well, looks like they've reported $1.96 billion in Bitcoin revenue in the fourth quarter of 2021. Holy shit, Bitcoin Magazine, Sean Amick writing it. Block, the parent company of Square, Cash App, Spiral, Title, and TBD released Cash App's Q4 2021 results, which demonstrates how providing Bitcoin brokerage services might might be a good uh, business strategy. During the Q4 2021, Cash App generated almost $2 billion in Bitcoin revenue and $46 million of Bitcoin gross profit, which is up 12% and 14% year over year, respectively. The compounding annual growth rate for Cash App's Bitcoin revenue and gross profit grew 232% and 285% year over year, respectively. As of December 31st, the fair market value of the company's Bitcoin holdings was $371 million. Holy smokes. That's a lot of money. And we don't need to read any more of this one because that is the meat of that stake right there. They've, our cash app is proving that this is a highly profitable business model. It's highly profitable and they're not going to let it go. And this goes, this kind of like is the cash app is going to be one of the thorns in the side of the United States government that forces the United States government, along with people like Michael Saylor and a whole bunch of other business like BlackRock is getting into it. All these huge companies that have lobbying groups in Washington, D.C. are not going to want to see the time and energy that they've spent on doing all this just blow away because some idiot in Washington, D.C. decides to make quote-unquote Bitcoin illegal. I don't think they can. I think they'll they'll rattle sabers about it, but I don't think they will. I really don't. There's There's too many United States business and corporate interests in Bitcoin at this point to not have somebody's office inundated with phone calls, letters, and lobbyists bitching them out one side and down the other for wrecking their revenue model. If you don't think that the United States government doesn't listen to such things, then you are wrong. This is how we got here in the first fucking place, which brings up a whole other problem. But you know what those problems are. If we're going down the same path as legacy financial financial world, then we're doomed. And we can't allow that to happen. I don't have all the answers. I wish I could tell you exactly what to do so that that doesn't happen. But things are afoot at the Circle K. And if you don't understand the reference to that, you haven't seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which I highly recommend. Although the second one and uh, the third one, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a big fan of. Anyway, Russia, to getting back to the whole thing of Ukraine. And like I said, I'm going to try not to opine on Ukraine, but if factual information comes out that has something to do with Bitcoin, I want to at least re, you know, give you that one. So here we're going to give it to you from Helen Parts, Cointelegraph. Russia to seize retail deposits if sanctions go too far, official warns. In the event of harsh Western sanctions as Russian forces invade Ukraine, retail customers 
could risk losing their savings. Of course they, of course, a fuck, a fucking course. Russian savings could be confiscated in response to sanctions against the country, according to Nikolai Efrev, a member of the country's Communist Party and vice chairman of the Duma's Committee on Economic Policy. The Russian government can potentially seize about 60 trillion rubles, which is about $750 billion U.S., worth of citizens' deposits should Western nations decide to block all of Russia's foreign funds. He said in an interview with local news agency News.ru on Monday, quote, if all the foreign funds are blocked, the government will have no other choice but to seize all of the deposits of all the population or 60 trillion rubles in order to solve the situation, the official stated, noting that Russia stores over $640 billion of gold and foreign exchange reserves abroad. I mentioned that at the beginning of the show. He also mentioned that potential sanctions against Russia include a possible disconnection from SWIFT and foreign exchange prohibitions. Russian President Vladimir Putin officially announced a special military operation in Ukraine, potentially pulling the trigger on a set of sanctions on Russia's largest banks, including state-backed Bank and VTB. According to local reports, Bank, I can't pronounce it. It's S-B-E-R Bank. Was that Spurbank? I'll just say Spurbank mistakenly made a statement on being included in the list of sanctions by the United States on Thursday night, but subsequently removed the notice, get this, claiming that the statement was false and was caused by a website crash. I got hacked, bro. It's not my fault. At the time of writing, Spurbank website reads that Spurbank and all its systems are operating normally. Quote, we're ready for any development of the situation and have worked out scenarios to guarantee the protection of the funds, assets, and interest of our clients, as well as to ensure the regular operation of all of our functions. On Thursday, Russia's Ministry of Foreign Affairs declared that it would, that it would make sure to respond to potential Western sanctions, stating, quote, make no mistake, we will respond strongly to these sanctions, not necessarily in a symmetrical manner, but the response will be well calibrated and will not fail to affect the United States. And at this point, they completely depart from the point of the whole freaking article. Russia is going to take your money. You're a private citizen. You're a private Russian. You're just, you got a coffee shop or you make fucking bagels in the morning or something for your livelihood and you use a Russian bank. Your money is going to be gone because they're going to steal it from you. And the, the, the excuse is because Western sanctions. Again, Putin knew this shit was going to happen. It's not like it's a surprise that Biden and Trudeau and the prime minister of Australia, if that's what they freaking call it, got their panties in a twist because he started bombing Ukraine. And was, they were going to take your money. If you had, if Putin, if you had any ruble or bar of gold outside of your control, not your keys, not your coins. And they fucking took it and you knew they were going to do it. And here your announcement is, and it's not directly coming from Putin, but it's coming from his mouthpiece that they're just going to steal the money of the population to do it. Do what? Pay for the war? He said, fix the problem. I'm like, what problem? You're the ones that invaded. I mean, I'm like, I'm trying to be neutral here, but I'm like, so you just steal the money out of the banks. This is why I hold Bitcoin. 
I'm the only one with the key. I'm the only one. God, you know, it's like, how much of this bullshit do you have to actually witness go down before you leave all other bullshit behind and just buy Bitcoin? Honestly, it's ridiculous. Now, uh, BNY Mellon scales up crypto ambitions by tracking customers' Bitcoin. Honestly, we don't really need to go into it. But here's the deal. BNY is going to partner with Chainalysis to monitor the blockchain with, you know, like movement of, of Bitcoin with the customers. If you're, uh, if you're, if you're thinking that the only way that you can buy and hold Bitcoin is through a, a third party like BNY Mellon or JP Morgan Chase as a private citizen. Okay, this is from a private citizen point of view. You are wrong. If you are the manager of a hedge fund that wants to get into it or a insurance company or a, you know, a pension plan, then yeah, you by regulation, you're going to have to have your shit custodialized. But if you're a regular Joe walking around the streets and you say, I need Bitcoin, don't go to BNY Mellon or JP Morgan or Bank of America or when they all finally get into this stuff because all of them are going to be using chain analysis and they're going to be tracking your shit. The only real way to do this is non-KYC Bitcoin and you can do that through BISC and HODL HODL. B-I-S-K is spelled or is pronounced BISC. That's B-I, not B-I-S-K. Sorry, I screwed up. B-I-S-Q. I know. Stop yelling at me. B-I-S-Q. <clears throat> and HODL HODL, H-O-D-L, H-O-D-L. Check them out and see if that if that fits for you. But if you have any Bitcoin on any exchanges whatsoever, get it off into your own wallet. I don't care if it's a ledger, a treasure, a cold card. I don't care at this point. You can worry about the fallout later. Get your shit off of all exchanges. If you're keeping like, you know, like a hundred bucks in cash app, whoop-de-doo. But if you got like $10,000, that you've been stacking sat, you know, worth of Bitcoin that you've been stacking sats, you know, and, and that's what you've come out with, you know, get 9,500 of it off, leave 500 in case you want to do something with it. I don't know, but in either event, this shit's coming and it's not going to stop. Let's run the numbers. Looks like commodities are settling down a little bit. Uh, flammable liquids are down across the board, but they're still high in prices on a per like you know per unit of energy basis. Yesterday I saw something like five and six percent spikes in oil. It was really really bad, really really bad. But it looks like for whatever reason things are calming down. I'm sure somebody at the Biden administration. Uh, said something or whatever, but West Texas Intermediate is down three quarters of a point, but it's still $92.13 a barrel. Brent North Sea likewise is down a point and a half and still at $97.53. Dude, both of these crashed through the $100 oil price limit or or, or psychological limit. Uh, Brent went to 105 it may, may have even peaked at 107. I thought I saw one that actually said that. And West Texas Intermediate went through to 101 to $102 a barrel. We haven't seen that shit since 2014, right? So natural gas is down almost a full three points. 
to four and a half bucks per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline is down a point and a quarter to $2.73. See, like I said, this is still not all that helpful. Metals are all down except for copper, which is up a half a point. Gold is back below 1900. So all the charts that you saw about the Bitcoin crash versus the rise in gold, yeah, at, that all reversed about, you know, 12 hours later. So gold is at 1890 bucks after a almost two-point loss. Uh, silver is down 2.81%. Platinum is down three-quarters of a point. Palladium taking a huge hit, six and a third points down uh, to 2336 and a half bucks. All agricultural futures are down except for coffee, which is up a quarter of a point. The biggest loser, wheat, 5% to the downside. Soybeans down 2.5%. Corn is down 3.5%. Sugar is down 1 and 1 quarter percent. Uh, indices, we got the Dow going to be up 0.84% to the upside. S&P up 0.61%. NASDAQ 0.06 to the upside and S&P mini 0.66% to the upside. Real money is at $39,182.24. $259,000 transactions in the last 24 hours. That's 10,800 transactions every hour on the hour at 1.09 million BTC changed hands that last 24 hours. That's about 45,500 BTC every hour on the hour with four, <laughs> 420 is the average transaction value of BTC, 4.20, so 420. Median transaction value is 0 0.018 BTC or 693 bucks. Block time's high, 10 minutes, 26 seconds, and that's due to a 10.9% decrease in hash rate, which also is, you know, Yesterday, we also had a decrease in hash rate. We are back down to 183.23 exahashes per second, which is about, I don't know, 100 times more security than we actually need to secure the blockchain. So I'm not worried one bit. 0 0.08 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. 12 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24-hour period. And your shitcoin indicator is Doge, 12.6 United States pennies. 6,400 transactions waiting on three blocks to clear. $744.2 billion is the current market cap of Bitcoin, which is 5.96% of gold's market cap. Yet we can still buy 20.7 ounces of shiny metal rocks with our one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,967,946.14 of and 3,000. 439 and a half of those are locked in the Lightning Network, valued at $135.1 million, run over 19,923 nodes, sporting 85,466 uh, payment channels that we know about, and 75.9% of all of it's being run over Tor and its requisite 11,562 nodes, or at least the nodes that we can see. There's your vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Coinbase saying that they made 2.2 billion, that's billion with a B, in revenue from transaction fees in the fourth quarter of 2021. That, you know, I've been seeing that this morning for a while. I forgot to put it up. I don't have the news story, but that's all you really need to know. 
Uh, $500,000 in Bitcoin donations are flowing to Ukraine as Russia invades. Again, not to opine, but this is relevant to Bitcoin as well as the Ukraine crisis coming off the heels of the free trucker freedom convoy. Let's see what the hell's going on with taking donations in BTC this time on the other side of the pond. Bitcoin magazine, Namcios has it. Bitcoin donations to the Ukrainian army have soared. Publicly available blockchain data reveals that over 14.5 Bitcoin worth more than $550,000 have been donated so far on Thursday to Come Back Alive, a Ukrainian non-governmental organization that provides material and technical assistance to the country's armed forces. <clears throat> Bitcoin donations to Come Back Alive began in the second half of last year when the NGO raised $200,000 in Bitcoin, but this week started to pick up as uh, pace as threats of a Russian invasion materialized. The group has raised more money in Bitcoin on Thursday than in the past six months combined. All it takes is apparently dropping a few bombs and all of a sudden everybody goes nuts. Volunteer groups have played a central role in helping Ukrainian military forces in each conflict over the past decade, providing support in medical, technical, and material aspects as strong Russian troops advance on the country's territory. Come Back Alive has been one of the largest organizations to provide such support. The foundation started its activities after the conflicts of 2014 when Russia deployed thousands of military troops on the eastern frontier of Ukraine following orders of President Vladimir Putin to seek control over Crimea and parts of Donbass. The organization takes its name from the inscriptions on the bulletproof vests that were its first donations to the Ukrainian army. Okay, so that's all that we know about it. It looks like the BTC is being held in a wallet that's all that whose keys are being controlled by Come Back Alive, an NGO. Uh, so we'll have to see what they, how they, so now the question becomes, we've got a non-governmental organization. I would imagine they have more experience in fundraising. Uh, so how are they going to distribute? What is this going to look like? I mean, it is a mess over there. What are you going to contribute to? What are you going to buy? I mean, keep an eye on these, on these cats, make sure that they do the right thing, but I, I don't know what the right thing is here. See, that's the problem. I'm not a geopoliticist or whatever you want to call it. Anyway, crypto punks owner boast of rugging Sotheby's NFT auction is now canceled. This was from yesterday, by the way, Jeff Benson has it for uh, decrypt.co. <clears throat> A Sotheby's auction of 104 CryptoPunks Ethereum NFTs scheduled was canceled after the seller decided to hold on to the digital assets instead. Quote, NVM, short for nevermind, decided to hodl, tweeted pseudonymous collector OX65OD on Wednesday evening. The tweet came just over two weeks after the famous auction house announced the sale, which it estimated would bring in 20 to $30 million. The collector then posted a meme implying that they were taking Punk's mainstream by rugging Sotheby's. Rugging refers to a rug pull, a scam in which a developer leaves a project with investors' funds. While no funds were actually lost, the owner did pull the proverbial rug out from under the bidder's feet. The, quote, Punkit sale which Sotheby's had been marketing as recently as today, was billed as the first dedicated live e evening auction for NFTs. 
While this would have been the first auction dedicated to NFTs, Sotheby's has sold the digital artworks in the past alongside other items. The withdrawal of the collection highlights the iconoclastic aspirations of the Web3 world as it collides with traditional institutions. Robert Leshner, creator of DeFi Protocol Compound, wrote that it was a sad day for digital art collectors. <laughs> Later on Wednesday, a tweet by the pseudonymous collector suggested that they may have pulled out because the auction house's commission fees. Still, Rug Radio founder Farouk called out the abort sell aborted seller, Bro, you suck. Stop acting like you rug Sotheby's. Laugh my ass off. You made everyone look stupid. Even the press here is laughing at us because of you stop hiding the guilt behind dumbass memes. Uh, end quote and end article. Guys, please, please, please at least try grammar because it's like almost, it's, it's impossible to read some of these, some tweets. And I don't know if it's like just, if it's like people that know the King's English that just have shitty ass grammar or if these are you know, somehow or another, somebody doesn't, is, is that this second, like, you know, English is a second language or something like that. I don't know, but dude, the last part of that made absolutely no sense, but whatever you got rugged deal with it. I don't trust anybody in the NFT market at this point. Should the federal reserve add Bitcoin to its balance sheet? Yes, of, of course they should. You morons, Bitcoin magazine, Mike Hobart, during a February 16th webinar on crypto hosted by the Hatch Center, the policy arm of national think tank, the Orin G. Hatch Foundation, Hatch Foundation Executive Director Matt Sandgren was joined by U.S. Senator Cynthia Lummis, former Federal Reserve Vice Chair Randall Quarles, and Bitstamp CEO Robert Zagata. The focus of the conversation was on ensuring that regulations coming out of D.C. would not hamper the cryptocurrency economy and the innovations happening around Bitcoin. While there may have been a mentioning of crypto, a word that has met with some significant pain in the broader Bitcoin community for its implied grouping of BTC with altcoins, the conversation very largely remained centered around Bitcoin itself. Discussion took a very bold and arguably bullish direction around the 29-minute mark when Sandgren posed a question to Lummis. Quote, Senator Lummis, the Fed currently holds more than $40 billion in foreign currencies on its balance sheet. Why not add Bitcoin? End quote. Quote, I think it's a great idea, to be honest, Lummis responded. Once there's a statutory and regulatory framework, that'll make a lot of sense. The fact that it is completely decentralized is going to make it over time more ubiquitous. And I think it's going to be something that the Fed should hold on its balance sheet, end quote. Adding Bitcoin to the balance sheet of an entity such as the Federal Reserve may not only seem unlikely, but even extreme to some. However, let's not forget that mortgage-backed securities were not added to the Fed's balance sheet until the 2008 global financial crisis, a move that was intended to be temporary in order to stimulate the economy. Senator Lummis did a stellar job of discussing how Bitcoin can not only coexist alongside the U.S. dollar, but improve the landscape of financial inclusion, particularly among the impoverished. Despite the fact that Bitcoin has come under fire by public officials, particularly from Senator Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, Focahontas. Lummis followed up with elaboration on the progress of coming legislation for Bitcoin 
which she referred to as comprehensive as well as by discussing the machinations of the deliberation and commenting phases between the United States Secretary uh, Securities and Exchange Commission and the Commodity Futures Trading Commission with regards to said legislative submissions, shedding some light on why political dealings can require significant amounts of time and require patience by the wider market. Quarles offered some minor pushback following Lummis's remarks, explaining that, quote, I think it's important that the Fed move as promptly as is practical to a balance sheet that is really entirely treasuries. And part of that is to avoid the slippery slope of using the Fed's balance sheet to politically allocate credit or financial support, end quote. What the fuck do you think you've been doing for years? Oh my God. Could adding Bitcoin to the Fed's balance sheet provide a more diversified level of resilience to the economy? Could it enable a strategy for assisting in offloading assets by the Fed without shocking the broader equities market altogether? While adding Bitcoin to the Fed's balance sheet may seem like a fun idea to some, sharing an exuberance over number go up, the problem comes more from the comparison of two key capitalizations. The Fed's balance sheet value has swelled to $9 trillion in value, nearly double where it was barely three years ago while Bitcoin struggles to maintain a $1 trillion market cap. Individuals such as Greg Foss, a noted Bitcoin supporter with years of legacy financial perspective, may offer one of the most insightful perspectives on this potential move, combining knowledge of both spheres. Greg Foss says, quote, I believe it is absolutely feasible and in fact imperative for our kids' futures, Foss concluded. So we all know Foss was going to say, yes, you should hold it on your balance sheet. You're saying, yes, you should hold it on the balance sheet. I'm saying, yes, you should hold it on the balance sheet. Does anybody really know what the full ramifications of such a thing are? No, we don't. But what we do know is the direction we're heading is going to kill all of us. If they don't change something, and I mean with it like a radical change, very, very soon, this entire financial thing is going to collapse. It's going to collapse anyway. What I'm saying is we need to have something change, not so that the legacy financial system doesn't collapse because I don't think there's any salvage, but at least to have something in your back pocket like a pocket knife, a ball of string, you know, your everyday carry if you're out in the woods canteen of water, you know, maybe, uh, maybe a firearm, you know, compared, like take that and they extrapolate it over the feds balance sheet. They're going to want hard assets on that balance sheet. They're not going to want something that's just paper and having, you know, having Bitcoin in your back pocket is like having that, that pocket knife. It does so many different things. And without it, you go, shit, I wish I had had a pocket knife before I got lost in the fucking woods. We are lost in the woods. Things don't happen well for people to get lost in the woods. I There's, you know, go watch a movie about it. There's several of them. I'm sure you'll find one. It's not pretty. We need the Fed to hold Bitcoin on their balance sheet. Because when the rest of the world when all their fiat currencies collapse into the United States dollar, the only thing that's going to fully back that dollar is going to be something like Bitcoin. And it will in fact be Bitcoin and probably a basket of, you know, gold and silver or something like that. I don't particularly like metals, but I'm a realist. 
at least it's real, at least it's tangible. The, the problem with it is that it weighs a shit ton. It's very expensive to move. You can't move it through, you know, digital means and you have to have a whole set of guards around a very expensive vault to store it. It's kind of a, it's kind of a shit coin, honestly, but it is at least it's a hard asset. And I believe Bitcoin is just as hard. And I do believe that if the Federal Reserve does not take steps to protect themselves by putting Bitcoin on their balance sheet, that when the financial system finally does implode, we're going to be reaching for the same straws that Europe, Australia, New Zealand, Mexico, Central America, South America, Africa, the Baltics, the Balkans, Russia, China, all of them are going to be reaching for the same goddamn straws. I would rather be living in a country that had to reach for the the less amount of the least amount of straws as humanly possible, and Bitcoin would make that happen. Now, Tonga, speaking of, Tonga's timeline for Bitcoin is legal tender and BTC mining with volcanoes. All right, Lord Fushuita or whatever, catching a lot of flack from a whole bunch of people after I tweeted this uh, story out yesterday, uh, saying that he's just a, you know, he's a scumbag and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I've never had a beer with him. I've never met him. I've never gone fishing with him. I haven't taken a boat ride with him. I don't know shit about Lord Fushida, but I do know apparently that he's trying to make Bitcoin legal tender and BTC mining with volcanoes a thing for Tonga Joseph Hall from Cointelegraph. Lord of Fushita or Fusu Tuas or however you pronounce his name. A former member of the Tongan parliament has shared a timeline for the country's plan to adopt Bitcoin. A Tongan nobleman Fusuita had previously disclosed the four-step plan, a copy of the Salvadoran Bitcoin playbook. Step one, remittance. Step two, legal tender. Step three, Bitcoin mining. And step four, moving national treasuries into Bitcoin. During the Twitter spa- a Twitter Spaces conversation, he shed light on steps two and three, providing a timeline for when these changes could come into place. He told Cointelegraph, quote, Let's say the legal tender bill is passed eh, beginning of mid-October. After this, the bill goes to the palace office for three or four weeks. His majesty will either give or not give royal assent by mid-November. So that's mid-November this year. So, you know, right before Thanksgiving for, for us in the United States. The bill is then passed back to the government to undergo the Gazette process. The Gazette serves to notify the public of changes. Now, Given that prayer week takes place in Tonga in the first week of January, Lord Fusuita Fusitua, Fusitua is confident that by the second week of January 2023, the Gazette will have been announced. For legal tender bill coming into force, quote, conservatively, the earliest date realistically is the beginning of the middle of February is the activation date. It could be much, much earlier if the last three steps are rushed through, which I have seen before, end quote. He concluded that all things being equal, let's say mid-February. In terms of countries, the country's Bitcoin mining operations, the potential is pretty staggering. Tonga has 21 volcanoes. <laughs> Good Lord. And they produce an excess of 2,000 megawatts of power annually. The national grid consumes a mere 40 megawatts per year, meaning Tonga has a potential 1,960 megawatts with nothing to do and nowhere to go. However, in order to mine effectively, the government might need to be on board while internet infrastructure must be robust. 
Fortunately, broadband infrastructure will not pose a barrier to expanding internet and mining operations due to a deal made over eight years ago with the international financial institution, the World Bank. Shall we pause? I think we shall. Yeah, the World Bank, if they have any, any, any at all, like governance over said fiber line that's feeding internet to Tonga, what are the chances that they'll cut it? Let's say that we know that they, that they don't cut it. Let's say that. The fact that they have the potential to just say, you know what, that's our line. We're just going to shut it down. That's a bad deal. This is a bad deal. They need satellite backup. They need like uh, uh, block stream satellites to be able to make this work in a way that has redundancy. And you want that redundancy. One is none. Two is one. Three is for me. Four, hey, what a score. You know, that kind of, you want redundancy. You want backups for backups for backups. And having a single fiber line feeding all your data and then you piss off the World Bank and they have the say-so on what to do with that data line, yeah, you're hosed. So bad deal right there. Anyway, in a nutshell, Tonga right now has enough bandwidth to expand for the next 100 years. Plus in almost every house, Tonga has access to fiber connectivity as the cable is laid to the door. Home mining is an accessible reality. As such, the 2020s could see Tongan households mining at home using cheap surplus volcanic energy. For the country to reach a level of Bitcoin mining on a national scale, the government must be on its side. The Lord told... <laughs> the Lord? The Lord told Cointelegraph that Bitcoin mining could take place as early as the third quarter of 2023 and that the government is likely to be on board. Quote, the mining operations could be privately operated or in joint venture with the government. There might be a need for a new state-owned enterprise for it to take off, he said. <clears throat> Currently, Bitcoin mining companies that are keen to see the Tongan Bitcoin story play out have gifted the Lord mining rigs in 40-foot shipping containers to test out capacity. The companies, however, remain a secret. Nonetheless, the publicly laid plans to drive Bitcoin adoption in Tonga are certainly gaining traction. All right, so say what you want about Lord Fusuita. He, maybe he is a scumbag. I don't know. Maybe he is like what I've been told, that he's just a, uh, 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 a media-seeking attention whore and that he's saying all this simply to get said media attention. I don't know. I don't care. The only thing that I care about is what actually happens. So Tonga is definitely a place to watch. It certainly has the potential to do all these things, Will it? I don't know. Like I said, I'm not friends with the, I'm not friends with the Lord. Let's just call him the Lord. I can't pronounce his name and never probably will be able to. Let's say I'm friends with the Lord or uh, rather I'm not friends with the Lord. So therefore I don't know. And the fact that he's not in parliament anymore gives me some questions about the efficacy of what he's really saying. How much does he know? If he's not a member of parliament, should he even have any information about this shit at all? Uh, see, these are the questions that you have to ask yourself. And these are the things that we're going to have to do. These questions that, that I'm asking myself right now that sort, sort of sounds like I'm putting the kibosh on this whole thing. These are the questions that we have to ask about the Ukraine-Russian conflict, the West reaction to Russia, and Russia's reaction to those reactions. We have to ask the questions. Like what, like for instance, my question is, what does Putin really want? 
Sure, having a buffer between between you know main mainstay Russia and NATO, sure, I, I get that, but at what cost? And we're talking beyond human lives. Not well. Okay, human lives are the most important thing. I get that. I'm not saying anything bad about that. I'm just saying that if we subtract that out of the equation, what's the cost? I mean, Russia has lost big financially on this deal and Putin doesn't seem to care. That tells me that there's something else there, okay? And as we move through this conflict and for any of the other shit that we've got to come back up against, because think about it, before 2001, shit was relatively stable. It wasn't perfect. Clearly the financial system was going to hit a rock and a hard place sooner or later, but the first thing that happens in 2021 or in 2020 or 2001 is 9-11 and we lose all our freedoms. And then right after that, 2008 and the money printers start going burr. Now, not to the degree that they went, which in what came next, which was COVID. And now inflation is between, you know, the money printing outside behind 2008 and these last two and a half years being as unprecedented both times as they were, now the inflation comes home to roost. And now that we were just about to get out of COVID, what happens? We get to wake up with a war in Europe, yeehaw, between one of the one of the world's largest superpowers that are friends with one of the world's other largest superpowers, and I'm talking about China. These are all civilization kind of crushing events, and they're getting worse. 9-11 basically kind of affected worldwide travel, but mostly it was the Patriot Act that basically buttfucked the United States public. And then 2008, the tentacles of the United States financial system starts bitch slapping people around the world because they had exposure to the real estate bubble. And then now COVID affects the entire world and everybody's financial system starts freaking out all in concert and every country starts printing money except for maybe possibly Russia. And now that COVID has almost been, been laid to rest and had a funeral, here comes Putin. These are all civilization crushing events, but this time they're back to back to back to back. This has been 20 years of a nightmare. If you were born before 2001 and you have memories of that time, you were old enough, you were born far enough before 2001 that you have memories of the way we used to do shit, you better hold those memories dear because we may not ever see them again. We may not understand what it was like to greet as a six-year-old child, your grandma who's getting off the plane at the gate, at the gate. That's the way it used to be done. Now family members aren't allowed, like unless you got a ticket and you're gonna get on that plane, you ain't allowed in the concourse. And, and I would see families gathered around the gate and people would bring flowers and people would dress nice to come greet their family members as they got off the plane. It was an event. And we don't have that anymore. We don't have a lot of shit anymore. And now here we are waking up to war with Europe and Russia because it's probably going to devolve that way. We, the world needs Bitcoin worse now than any time before. But as we move through this time, we have to be deadly serious about what information we're ingesting. Where did it come from? 
Who gave it to us? Can we prove it? Can we get another source? Can we get three sources on the same piece of information that all say the same thing? As a citizen journalists, we're like, you know, we're all acting in a way, citizen journalists, if you, if, if, and I'm guilty of it too. I've spread misinformation. I don't think about COVID, but about other things I've, I've probably put up. Like, I know I put up at least one video that, hey, this shit happened yesterday. And it didn't, it happened 10 years before because I, I, I didn't take the time. I didn't take the time to vet shit. I'm getting better at it. You know, everybody's going through, it's like a crash course in journalism. You might as well go ahead and embrace the suck. You're going to have to learn how to do journalism. I'm sure there's books out there and almost everybody has access to a library, but that is going to do it for the morning roundup. Of all times in the world, we need a joke right now. And dad says jokes has it. My wife tells me I have two major faults that I don't listen and something else. Now, dad says jokes is not, is not, um, you know, is not an, not an island. And even he's like tweeting out stuff about Ukraine conflict. And I find this one funny as I, as funny as I do that it's sad. Uh, he retweeted this one from puberty latest. It says a group of Ukrainian border guards were stationed on snake Island in the black sea when a Russian warship ordered them to surrender under threat of attack. Their response Russian warship, go fuck yourself. They held their ground and all 13 of them were killed. It's getting, it's going to get to us all if we lit it. It's going to get to us all if we lit it. And I'm not saying laugh about it. I'm not saying make jokes about it. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying that. But I am saying that if, if, if we lose what's left of our sense of humor of our ability to get out of bed and and want to f- and actually want to face the day and be excited about the potentials that could arise from that day if we lose that we're all lost don't let that shit happen to you i'll see you on the other side have a good weekend guys this has been bitcoin and and i'm your host david bennett i hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon have a great day